Apple presents events at the Apple Store. Please welcome this evening's guest moderator, Ronnie Cho. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome uh, to this event tonight and for joining us for a special Q&A with uh, actor Cal Penn uh, as he promotes this new film, Bhopal, A Prayer for Rain. Uh, without further ado, let's just play the, the, the trailer real quick here. Why India? We came here to help build better farmers. That's a tough market to corner. India was open for business and I wanted carbide at the heart of the revolution. My name is Warren Anderson. Remember, we're not just carbide, we are Union Carbide, united in our efforts to build a better future for everyone. Welcome to Bhopal, free guide. What kind of things do you write? Lifestyle. Lifestyle, okay. You want to write a real story? We may need to implement some structural changes. This could have serious implications. I'm willing to take that risk. What is our official line? As long as we are learning from our mistakes, we are safe. Union Carbide stores 40 tons of poison in the heart of Bhopal. One drop of your stuff killed her husband. We set the highest safety standards in the industry. Link the tanks. Push them hard. Is that a good safety precaution? Your factory is choking this town. But this factory feeds this town. Tell me something. You think Carbide should stay here in Bhopal? Yes, sir. Okay. I can sleep tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Cal Penn. Hey guys, how's it going? How are you? So Cal, uh, this film, Bhopal, A Prayer for Rain, you play a tabloid journalist, Motwani, who stumbles upon something a little bit more different than his usual beat. Tell us a little bit about the role that you, uh, you, you portrayed here. I do. That was probably the most succinct actual explanation of my character. I've been trying to find out how to describe him. So obviously he's this guy who's ridiculous and wears, you know, extremely loud, colorful shirts. Um, I wanted to keep them all. But he, he's, a, he's a tabloid journalist, and he's actually loosely based on a real person. So the, the movie's a fictitious adaptation of events that, that took place in the early 1980s in this, this uh, small city in India. Um, and I play this tabloid journalist who, who comes up with the most outrageous uh, news headlines and articles imaginable just to sell papers. He runs his own uh, newspaper and printing press. 
Um, but he discovers uh, through the course of the film that there's uh, there's the potential of a really terrible gas leak in uh, in this Union Carbide plant. Tries to warn all the people in this town and and fails miserably because of his sort of boy who cried wolf story. Right, he'd written so many salacious headlines based in nothing that when it actually comes time to warn people about something serious, nobody takes him seriously. Um, and it was an interesting arc to be able to play because he starts out as he saw in the trailer, you know, really gregarious, sort of over the top, and it kind of whittles down into uh, what I thought was a pretty tragic character, actually. So, for those who are not familiar with the the disaster of Bhopal in 1984. Tell us, give us a little bit of background of what exactly happened in India. Sure, yeah, so we should probably start with that. So the, the movie, as it said in the disclaimer, is, is a, f- a fictitious adaptation of real world events. So in, in 1984, there was a, a plant in uh, the center of India that was producing pesticide. It was a company called Union Carbide, uh, which is now owned by Dow Chemical. So it was an American firm. Uh, and uh, there were about 40 tons of gas uh, that leaked accidentally from, from the plant uh, in an industrial accident overnight, instantly killed about 5,000 people, and then over the next now 30 years, it's uh, slowly been killing tens of thousands more. The site was never really cleaned up, um, and the, the health implications are still affecting people who live there today. Uh, what I liked about the way that the writer of the film uh did with the script was that, you know, it's very easy, I think, particularly nowadays to to just point to the corporate entity and say, look, this is why this went wrong. But I think he smartly touches on a couple of things in the script and in the movie, which, you know, things like government corruption in the Indian government, which definitely played a role in the disaster, lack of oversight, uh, lack of strong environmental regulations or, or workplace training. All of those factors together, I think, were responsible for something like this. And I'm, I'm thankful for, you know, his really well-rounded approach to uh, to the script, but in a nutshell, this is you know this is the kind of movie where you know the ending, you know that it ends with this this awful disaster. Some of our early screenings uh, were incredibly flattering. We had people you know saying things like, you know this is this is obviously not a comedy. It's obviously not the kind of movie that that uh, uh, that's a thriller where you don't know the ending. But uh, they felt like they learned a lot from it. They were making comparisons to movies like Hotel Rwanda, where you know exactly what's going to happen, but a fictional adaptation that kind of takes you through the lives of characters was impactful, which is what I'm hoping. And we open on Friday in uh, one theater just here in the East Village, and, and I'm very curious to see what a, a broader American audience has to say about it. So, Cal, you, you touched a little bit about the lack of regulation, the, the kind of stuff that was happening in Bhopal at the time. Let's fast forward 30 years. Here we are, 2014. Can you draw some contrasts or similarities between, in your mind, the kind of environmental protections that are taking place? Is industry doing enough? Are we doing, are there enough policies to prevent these kinds of disasters, not only across the world, but here in the U.S.? That's a good question and one that I've actually thought about recently. So we shot this movie about five years ago. Uh, and in those five years, you know, I think it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to answer that question properly. In those five years, uh, of course, the biggest, I think, industrial disaster we've had since uh, was the BP spill. And the comparisons that I d- obviously didn't realize when you're shooting a movie like this that you'll you'll uh, you'll see something in the news or in real life. But uh, I remember reading accounts of you know BP lawyers going down to the Gulf of Mexico where fishermen's livelihood were were being affected by the spill and trying to sort of coerce them into signing really complicated legal documents to absolve presumably absolve BP of responsibility. And I kind of thought, wow, isn't that crazy that 30 years after this little tiny movie that we did, which was really my biggest exposure to uh, these sorts of cases, here I was reading about it in, in the newspaper that you know, another big company had, uh, had done something awful, unfortunately. Um, but I hesitate answering that question that way because we'll never know, you know, have there been increases in workplace safety? And 
uh, an environmental regulation that have prevented disasters like that from happening? Well, I mean, we don't know because they haven't happened, right? Um, so my hope is yes. I think if if anything, it, it's uh, it's interesting. The the movie uh, has had a lot of outside partners vouching for it. So there are a lot of Bhopal survivors groups that have partnered with us on this. Amnesty International has has kind of taken the movie under its wing uh, for its its own campaigns on Bhopal. Um, I thought that was really interesting because I think it it gets the conversation started about, you know, are these the types of things people want to undertake? We, of course, just had an election, in which case, you know, the, the environment was part of the conversation between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if it, if it has an impact on preventing things like that in the future, I think that would be fantastic, as well as some of the things the advocates are asking for, like having the site cleaned up to begin with. So let's talk a little bit more about the role, uh, Motwani, that you've taken here. You want to know about my mustache, don't you? Yes. Is it, one, is it real? No. But I, I could Spoiler have made alert. it real. I could have made it real, man. <laughs> I could have grown that. Uh, so it, it is a bit of a departure from some of the roles I think many of us here have come to know you for. Um, tell us a little bit about your decision for this particular film and the role itself. Sure. Yeah, Motwani does not smoke any weed in the movie at all. Uh, I don't even think he eats anything. He drinks tea in one scene. Uh, I, I actually loved, look, I, I feel like I've been really blessed having done these ridiculous broad comedies that, that audiences have given me a career f for, frankly, and I, I owe them a lot of gratitude. Uh, when I got this script, the, the writer actually, the writer-director, uh, Ravi Kumar, emailed me the script, uh, and I, I had known about the case a little bit, just remembering it from growing up in the news or, or from studying it in college, but I didn't know it in depth. Uh, read the script, was really moved by it. I thought it was really complex. I, as I mentioned before, it touched on a whole bunch of different issues as opposed to just kind of viewing it through a singular lens. Uh, and I thought, look, I, I kind of want to do something different. I want to I want to tell a story that's a little bit painful, that's hard to watch, that's um, or, or not hard to watch, hard to digest rather, uh, compared to some of the other stuff I've had the chance to do. And and maybe it'll have an impact. Maybe it won't. Very selfishly, uh, Martin Sheen had already signed on to the movie, and I'm a huge Martin Sheen fan, big West Wing fan, so that certainly didn't hurt. Uh, so I think it was that combination of the talent that was already attached to it and, and just the, the script itself that made me gravitate towards it. Well, you just sort of stepped on the question I was about to ask you. So this cast is amazing. You have Martin Sheen, legendary Martin Sheen. You have Misha Barton. What was it like working with someone like Martin Sheen, who's... Uh, his bio, his resume needs yeah. no uh, explanation. Yeah, Martin was awesome, and I'm, I'm going to second that and say that the entire cast was actually uh, r really great. So uh, Martin, of course, a legend, uh, not just in the West Wing, many of his, his movies, his TV appearances. Um, I also really admire you know, his, uh, the way that he advocates for things that he really believes in are, are different than I think most people in our business. Uh, do and hearing him talk about why he took a movie like this, not just artistically, but you know, in his opinion, morally and ethically, um, how it was, uh, you know, a lot of the things he does are based in faith uh, and his talent. So, really phenomenal to see somebody like that. I, f I feel like uh, our generation doesn't make actors like that anymore, and and I look up to somebody like that. Um, Misha was fantastic. You know, I, I'd only really known her from the OC, which I selfishly loved watching. Guilty pleasure. Uh, and getting the chance to work with her like this was was awesome in a totally dynamic role. She plays in a, a, a French-American journalist, um, a lot of depth to her character also. And we were the only three American actors. The rest of the cast was either European or, for the most part, Indian. Um, and uh, the Indian actors, you know, floored me with a lot of their performances. The, the lead guy uh, is a, an actor named Rajpal Yadav, who's, uh, who's an actor in, you know, in India, lives and works in Mumbai. 
Um, and at, this week, we've I've actually heard the, our director talk a lot about what it was like casting him. That when you do a small movie like this, you know, you you really want somebody to bankroll it. You need your investors, sort of like Hollywood's version of you know, if you're not on this particular list, it's really hard to get a movie financed unless you've got a, a set of like 20 actors. There is the the Bollywood version of that where they want a more commercially viable entity. Uh, but I'm I'm so glad that our our director kind of stuck with the person that he believed would best be able to tell the story, despite the fact that that meant that the the movie maybe wouldn't get financed right away. It would be a long, slow process, or he wouldn't have as much money to make the movie as he thought he would. Um, so that kind of integrity is is uh, rare, I think, to interact with, especially nowadays. And, and it was a blessing to, to well, do. Well, that. that's a great point that you make, and I'm wondering why, in your mind, why aren't there more films sort of that take on controversial issues or, or stories like this that, I don't know, I'll take an informal poll, anyone had heard of Bhopal prior to the screening? A few. A couple of people, yeah. Right. You know, I actually don't think this is a controversial movie. I, I've, uh, I've read different accounts. So the reason I say that, when we, when we were about to make the movie, particularly it was shot entirely in India, I think there were three days in Los Angeles, but um, there was a lot of hesitation on the part of the Indians, you know, asking questions like, uh, how are you telling the story? Whose perspective is it from? Um, I think it was hard for them to understand that it was from a relatively balanced perspective, I think. Um, after we made the movie, since it's done some early screenings in India, it, it seems to be well-received, knock on wood, I, I hope so. Um, but I wouldn't say it's controversial. I would say instead that it's, it's uh, an opportunity to really explore an issue that there have been a number of great documentaries about this particular case, uh, a lot of great books and articles. But I think there was a hesitation uh, at first because there were legal cases that were dragging on for so long that I think presumably fictional writers want to wait for a resolution in the real world if you're going to adapt something. Um, but there hasn't been resolution yet. It's at the 30-year anniversary. And, and I do actually think we're seeing more of these. Uh, they may not be uh, released widely, but between Netflix and iTunes and digital filmmaking, I think you're actually seeing uh, quite a few filmmakers take on content like this that, that hadn't before. So you mentioned really briefly about sort of the filmmaking process. Tell us a little bit about what was it like being in India to f for this particular shoot? Sure. So this is the first film that I've shot entirely in India. I'd worked there once before for a movie called The Namesake, um, which is based on a, a novel. Uh, and that was my sort of, in my entire career so far, the thing that I've I, I remained the most proud of. So I was eager to go to India, you know, different city. We shot the namesake mostly in uh, Calcutta and Agra. This film, uh, most of my scenes were shot either in Hyderabad or Mumbai, um, cities that I had not shot in. Uh, I'd never been to Hyderabad. I have family in India, but they're all in western India. Hyderabad is in, in the eastern part, uh, southeastern part. And... Uh, and it, it was uh, really eye-opening. It's sort of the, the analogy I would give you is like if you know if you have uh, friends who are visiting from abroad and they're visiting you here in New York, you kind of have to underscore that New York is not America. New York is New York. It's a global city. Uh, and if you want to get a taste of America, go to uh, certainly go to other cities like Chicago, San Francisco, L.A. But also you know go eat amazing food in Alabama. Talk to really friendly people in Florida. You know drive across the country. That kind of thing. So uh, working in another city was a, a phenomenal experience. Getting to know a whole culture and group of people. There are something like 200 plus languages and dialects spoken in in India. Uh, so seeing that, um, you know, even though I was born and raised in Jersey of Indian parents. Uh, you still absolutely feel like a foreigner going to even the country of your parents' origin uh, to shoot something, and it was very helpful to dive into the character that way. Oh, I should probably, an anecdote about that, uh, I think the trailer has me speaking English, but probably 70% of my lines in the film are in Hindi, which is a language I don't actually speak. And uh, 
the, when I read the script, the script that was emailed to me was in English. When I met with the director, our conversations are in English. He's a UK-based guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, the six months of prep that I had alone in L.A., I was preparing and thinking I was doing a great job, researching exactly what was happening, creating this character. And I land in India, and we go through, you know, the first day of rehearsals. I read through the first scene. The director goes, uh, great, that was great. Hey, now do it again in Hindi. I was like, okay, well, I don't speak Hindi. Uh, I speak English, and I speak a language called Gujarati fairly fluently because my, my grandparents spoke it, but I don't speak Hindi. And he kind of looks at me, and I was like, yeah, so we're shooting in four days. What do you want to do? Uh, and he said, well, I think you should learn Hindi. I'm like, sure, in four days? I mean, the languages are similar, sort of the way that Spanish and Portuguese might be similar, but, but they're still completely different languages. Uh, and I said, well, shouldn't I just get on a plane and go home? Like, shouldn't you really hire an Indian actor? It's, I, I thought I was fine with everything, the period piece, the content, everything except for the language in which he speaks. Uh, and the, the director, Ravi, looked at me and goes, are you not up for the challenge? Are you not up for trying? If there's one thing you don't tell either an actor or a kid from New Jersey, it's are you, are you not up for a challenge? So, uh, so we hired a dialect coach and, and started work on the language. The reason that's relevant to your question, uh, being in the country in which that language is spoken widely was very helpful to actually learn and, and adapt to it, and we had a great team of people that helped me with it. So you mentioned you took about six months to get prepared for a... For Roughly, a, I would yeah. say, yeah. So let's kind of tell us a little bit about the process you had gone through as sort of your acting... Uh, process of getting into the character, any research that you had to do? Yeah, What's I, that's like? it was kind of a cool experience. So this is the first time I've uh, played a character who I think was loosely based on somebody. And I remember asking the director, saying, you know, since this is based on somebody, should I... And, and he's still alive, by the way. The real journalist that this is loosely based on is a guy named Keswani who lives in Bhopal. He's still a journalist in Bhopal. Um, he did actually write really ridiculous, salacious headlines that you see in the film. They're all actually lifted from actual newspapers that he wrote over the years. Um, but I think that's generally where it stops. The, uh, our, our director basically said, look, there are enough creative liberties that I've taken with the script that I would actually encourage you, instead of going to Bhopal to meet this guy, I can tell you what you need to know for that structure. But in my version of that, you know, I want that arc between what's a lighthearted character, maybe a little comic relief at first, uh, and then that whittles down into realizing that he's, a, he's a totally vulnerable, actually very sweet guy who's trying to, trying to warn people. So most of that character arc was studying things like you know, we have gossip journalists and people like that here in America, but in India, it's like a whole different world. These people just completely will fabricate quotes based on nothing, um, completely make stuff up, attribute it to you. It's fascinating, actually, really fascinating industry. So learning about that, uh, putting it in a specific period. And then these things sound so simple, but, um, you know, the 1980s, of course, the way we communicate in technology very different than it is here. But if you take an emerging economy like India, there are a whole slew of issues that uh, it was important for me to do justice to. So not, you know, not as an activist or not as somebody who likes to be aware about these kinds of things, but really as an artist, making sure that if you know, there's so many survivors out there, so many people who might watch a movie like this and say, I want to see what this situation was really like. So studying it, making sure that it's historically accurate, that there are little things like, I and mean, this had to change really quickly, but the accent, you know, I wanted to make sure I didn't sound like a kid from New Jersey who just learned Hindi four days ago. I wanted to sound like a guy who's been speaking it for 30 years and was born and raised in this, this small city in India. So uh, when I say six months, it's, you know, it's not every single day for six months, but it's slowly building up this, uh, this artillery of a, of a character. Well, let's uh, take a look at, or let's take a listen to the accent itself and uh, play the clip. Oh, yeah. This is, I think this clip is in English, but let's see. 
You want to know what happened to her lifestyle? Her husband was murdered by carbide. That's sad. Do we go now? Train station. What happened to him? We don't want to know. It's not lifestyle. It's life. Come on. Union Carbide stores 40 tons of poison in the heart of Bhopal. It leaks out every night. That widow's husband was killed with one drop of it. Did you know him? He was my best friend. The name's Ava. So we talked a little bit about working with this amazing cast. Uh, what do you learn, as you talked about your process in preparing for this role, what do you learn from a man like Martin Sheen as you're interacting with him day to day on the set? Actually, uh, I thought about this recently. I feel like I learned patience from Martin Sheen. Uh, you Shooting any movie, but particularly an independent film, is, is actually pretty rapid, right? It's a, a restricted budget, so you have limited takes. It's not like some of these big Hollywood movies that are shot on digital video, essentially, and you can, you know, if you screw up 10 times, that's fine, you just do it again. There, there is a little bit of pressure to retain, uh, particularly in big scenes like this when you're, you're seeing traffic at play and, and you're either actually in traffic on an open moving street uh, or they've managed somehow to wrangle 100 cars and it takes two hours to reset a shot like that. I'm exaggerating, but the, the point is you want to make sure you're, you're doing your job right. And I, I don't know that I was best equipped having you know, worked on... Uh, on movies like Harold and Kumar or TV shows like House where I'm, I, I was really spoiled by the opportunity to improvise. Working in a really dedicated environment like this with, with directors and producers and somebody like Martin Sheen. Um, so I learned patience from Martin because he, I when situations where I would get flustered, particularly with the Hindi, and I would say, gosh, did I, did I say this right? Did I do this the right way? Martin and I have very few scenes together, but we were at work on the same day quite a few times and, and he would kind of look and say, first of all, calm down. Second of all, be a little more confident. You know what you're doing. You spent time preparing. You're fine. Uh, and the combination of he and Raj Palyadav, the, the lead Indian actor, um, who was very reassuring in my Hindi or, or would tell me what I was doing wrong and say, calm down, uh, both of them together, I think I learned the type of patience that comes with the type of experience Martin Sheen has. Uh, maybe time for some questions from the audience? Sure. Hey, you doing, Cal? Thanks for coming out. Uh, Gauging from the feedback or the positive feedback that you've had from this movie, do you see yourself getting into more roles like this, uh, of this magnitude, and do you see yourself shooting another movie, uh, perhaps in India? Good question. I, uh, I would love to do more movies like this. I, I, I would love to actually, if, if uh, I, I feel really fortunate that I've had the chance to do kind of broad comedies and, and TV and then do something that's uh, a lot more independent like this. If I have the chance to continue to mix that up, I feel like I'm a lucky guy. And uh, I'm, I'm, I think I mentioned this before, but I'm really thankful to our fans and the audience to, that they're, they're willing to watch me and things like, you know, both sorts of sets of things. Uh, in terms of shooting a, another movie somewhere, you know, I love shooting movies abroad. I uh, some of my uh, some of my favorite. I mean, New York is my favorite place to shoot. Period. But 
Um, but loved shooting the namesake in India. Certainly loved shooting this. I loved shooting Superman in Australia. Uh, I love the concept that you can, you know, when you're no longer in college and can grab a backpack and check out a new country or save up for a trip like that, the next best thing is having somebody else pay for you to work in another country for five or six months where your friends are all natives from wherever you're shooting. You really get cultural experience that you wouldn't get anywhere else. So whether that's India or Japan or Romania, or where I, I would certainly love to shoot uh, home first and foremost, but uh, abroad is, is not bad either. Uh, you've done Indian accents before. Um, is, has it, uh, how hard is it to do an accent like that you didn't grow up with or do you like copy somebody or like watch TV or is it different doing it this time in this movie than in the past? That's a good and, question. Uh, sorry, yeah. and yeah. when was the last time you had a White Castle burger? <laughs> I try to eat healthy. So the disappointing answer is I can't remember the last time I've actually had a White Castle burger. Uh, but there's supposedly one on 8th Avenue, right? That's what I keep hearing. People love to, to, people love to either offer me weed or tell me where the nearest White Castle is. And I, I'm appreciative of both uh, suggestions. The, uh, the first question was about the accent. Yeah, you know, there have been a couple of different projects where I've had to do accents of various, various kinds. I think it is different. I think it depends on the filmmakers and the, the type of film and whether they put certain effort into it. Uh, I remember doing a movie called Van Wilder where I was playing an exchange student. I loved the script. I thought it was funny. I kind of fought them a little bit and said, does the character have to have an accent? There's really, he doesn't really have to be an exchange student. He's advancing the plot of the film because he's 18 years old and wants to get laid which is pretty universal for those kinds of movies. Uh, and for whatever reasons, which I respect, the producer said, no, we, we've written, you know, the writers wrote him as an exchange student, so we want him to have an accent. Uh, and I kind of thought, okay, I'll, I'll sort of on my own go and talk to, I had, a, I had a cousin at the time who was an exchange student from India who was living in LA. So I didn't tell him that I was, I mean, I, I hung out with him a lot anyway, but I didn't tell him that I was also trying to absorb uh, his accent, which is, you know, probably sacrilegious at the end of the day, but uh, but for a movie like this, there's it's not just an Indian accent, there's actually a lot more specificity to it. There, there's the regional dialect of uh, the way somebody would speak. You know, English would not be his first language, so uh, while it's accented, it's also got a particular lilt to it from the region that he's from, and then of course, you know, circa 1983, 1984, a little bit different than um, what you would see in India now in 2014. Hey, how you doing? India just had one of the most historic democratic elections in history. Um, what are your thoughts about that? And how do you see it affecting the way we do our politics so we should uh, reflect on our, our, our government and the way we run it now? Sure. So India just had a huge election. I feel really ill-equipped to, to, in fairness, answer that question because you know, I'm not an Indian citizen. I know I'm a... I'm brown, so I have some credibility, I suppose, or I should, but I'm not well-versed in Indian politics. Uh, I think it was a fascinating election. I, I read it, I think, similar to what the rest of us did in the New York Times or, or you know, listening to NPR, but uh, in terms of who was elected and how, I, my personal beliefs are a lot more secular than the newly elected government is. Um, so there are concerns that I share with others who have concerns about that, but uh, the election literally just happened, so I'm very curious to see how that how that plays out, and hopefully it turns into a positive thing for everybody. I mean, India is a huge global economic power, right? India, China, Brazil, and the United States. So, uh, very curious to see how that plays out. The political dorky side of me, very intrigued by that. Hi, hi, Cal. Uh, my name is Evan. I, I have a, a two-part question uh, for Superman. Actually, 
question about two movies. Uh, for Superman Returns, an epic movie, what were Brandon Ruth, uh, Tristan Lake LeBeau, uh, James Marsden, and Jennifer Coolidge like from your point of view? Oh, good question. Uh, I love them all. Uh, both movies totally different. Um, epic movie, which I like to pretend I didn't do. Uh, was actually a lot of fun to do. The filmmakers were really nice guys. Two, two really, really nice, very funny guys. Uh, the cast was great. Jennifer Coolidge, I, was, I had been a fan of before, particularly, you know, sort of coming of age with American Pie was, was kind of really huge to be able to work with her. Uh, that, that whole cast was really fun. It was actually a pretty long shoot. I think it was about five months in L.A., uh, and, and they were all great. Um, Brandon and I, in terms of Superman Returns, Brandon and I had actually been friends for about six or seven years before either of us became working actors. So it, it was just sort of by chance that he was cast as Superman. I knew they were about to announce that he was Superman uh, right around the time that I had my audition for Superman Returns. And I kind of called him, and I'm like, I know you're not allowed to tell me that you're about to be cast as Superman, but I can read between the lines because we grab drinks sometimes, and I can tell why you're not auditioning for anything else. Uh, and it just so happened that we got to work together on that, which was great. I was only, they, they shot that for about a year in Australia. Uh, I had the chance to go down there for about four months. He was my roommate for those four months. We had, we had a great time. It was actually really grounding to be able to work on a movie of that magnitude and room with a buddy who happened to be playing Superman. Thanks. Hey, Cal, thanks for coming out. Thank you. Um, so you said that the journalist was also still alive. Um, did you get a chance to, to meet him? And also, did you get a chance to meet any of the people that were living in that town? Or, uh, you know, any firsthand accounts and what that was yeah, like? Yeah, I have not met Motwani, uh, or sorry, uh, Kaswani, the actual guy upon whom Motwani is based. Um, the movie opens in India after the U.S., so we opened in India December th uh, 3rd and 4th. Uh, hoping to go for the release and actually hoping to meet him because we're doing a screening in Bhopal. I have had the chance to meet some survivors from uh, from Bhopal uh, who came to New York uh, and Mumbai for some of our early screenings there and listening to their stories, their firsthand accounts, um, particularly people who are uh, in their in their early 30s um, who have vague memories of what that night was like. Uh, but know the consequences because they've either lost a parent or grandparent or family members or they themselves have health problems that are attributed to what they experienced when they were you know, babies or, or five or six years old um, is really heartbreaking. And, and uh, particularly because, you know, uh, I don't know, we didn't have time, nor am I a historian in the actual uh, events, but uh, legal loopholes like, you know, um, money that was supposed to be paid to survivors uh, that then absolved Western companies of any wrongdoing, even though survivors got very little, if any, of the money because stuff was skimmed off the top by politicians. I mean, really messy, depending on, on how you look at it. Hearing all of those stories firsthand, also incredibly heartbreaking. But again, there are a lot of outside groups that seem to be uh, involved in, in trying to get some justice for these folks, which is nice. Hey, um, so one thing I know from following you on Twitter is that you're a very politically active um, guy. Um, what is what is what is the latest that you're doing there, and what are your plans for what what you want to do politically, kind of in the future? Do you think I'm actually politically active on Twitter, or because I try and make political dick jokes all the time, and some of them go really well, and then other ones just fall really flat, and they're totally embarrassing. You've had a lot of fodder recently, but yeah, yeah, yeah a lot of yeah, that's true. There's a, there was just an election, so there was plenty to choose from. Uh, uh, yeah, so I I uh, I feel blessed. You know, took two years uh, sabbatical for two years and had the chance to work in the White House on youth outreach. Uh, Ronnie here, uh, he and I worked on the Obama campaign together from 2007 onwards. He joined way before I did. Uh, 
and actually was the youth liaison to the president in the White House after I had left. So uh, you're more equipped recently to answer political questions. But uh, I hope to stay involved. Um, you know, I remain a staunch supporter of the president. I, I'm proud of uh, our accomplishments. Uh, I like to keep them separate from my acting work. I, I feel like uh, I'm probably going to get the names wrong, but I feel like there were some Kevin Spacey, Tom Hanks interviews I read back in the day where they were talking about, you know, the less the audience knows about you, the more believably you can play certain characters. I don't know if that's necessarily true now in the age of Twitter, and I think that audiences are savvy enough to suspend their disbelief, but um, but that's one of the many reasons I, you know, I'm very passionate about some of the public service work I do, but I also like to keep it very separate from the movies. So, you know, people, uh, I, I, I don't claim to be an expert on it, exactly what happened in Bhopal. Certainly not an expert on things like uh, marijuana legalization. I get questions about both all the time, understandably, uh, but most of my political leanings, the things we worked on at the White House were things like the Affordable Care Act, uh, repealing Don't Ask, Don't Tell, college affordability, um, things like that that I'm much better equipped to, you know, sort of have opinions on and, and talk about the process of and, uh, and hope to remain involved, yeah. Hi, just jumping back to your uh, film and TV career, having done both dramatic and comedic roles, do you find either more resonant or either more difficult for you? And specifically in a role like this, do you feel a sort of cultural responsibility or different weight on a film or a TV show that has a significance like this one does? Good question. I think the best feeling in the world is being told by somebody who whispers to you that they saw a comedy you were in and they actually peed their pants. There's like no, there's nothing that comes up to that level just in here. Uh, on a serious, on a more serious reflection, I love doing both. So I, I really like making people laugh. I really like making people think. Um, I think cultural ambassadorism is a little bit dangerous because, you know, who the hell are you as an actor to suggest that you have uh, a right to hold a torch for groups and groups of people? Um, that said, I was also, you know, a kid who born and raised in the United States, saw very few people who looked like me on screen unless they were cartoon characters. So I'm also simultaneously mindful of the reality, which is oftentimes different. Um, so I don't, th I, I don't feel like I have a cultural responsibility uh, per se, but in films like this, I, I do think it's uh, right uh, artistically more than anything else to make sure that you're doing justice to the, uh, the piece that you're, that you're bringing to life. But I, I love doing both. I really, um, I keep going back to the namesake. It was my favorite book. Uh, John Cho, who played Harold in Harold and Kumar, was the one who introduced me to the author, Jhumpa Lahiri, in her first uh, collection of short stories that she won the Pulitzer for. You know, uh, long story short, John and I tried to get the rights to the book, The Namesake, to turn it into a movie. Found out that uh, Mira Nair, who was one of my favorite directors from the time I was a kid, already had the rights to it. Uh, so we couldn't get the rights. We breathed a sigh of relief because we knew she she would do justice to it and we wouldn't. But sort of the connections between something as broad as Harold and Kumar, which I loved to death and you know, I feel like I could be 90 doing Harold and Kumar 50 and I'd be happy because Kumar is so much cooler than I'll ever be in real life. Uh, but, then, but then also having the chance to do something more serious and thought-provoking um, is incredible. I hope I have the chance to do both. Are all of your Asian friends last name Cho, by the way? Is that <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, John Cho, Ronnie There Cho. are a few Parks and Park, some okay. Kims. Okay. There are a few of those around. Yeah. So, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, let's give these guys a round of applause here. Thank you guys very much. I appreciate it.